Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Michelle Laurie and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee. Conversations about the guts and the glory of life. I am a big fan of Little Britain, of course, I'm not an idiot, but I tell you what I did not know and that is that David Williams writes books. He writes books for children, like sort of 11, 12-year-old children. He's written a lot of them and they've sold millions. He's actually a book writing superstar and I, I just had no idea. He was in Melbourne recently and uh, the Wheeler Centre, which is a terrific place. You should have a look at their website, wheelercentre.com. They do a lot of literary things, uh, courses for writers, all sorts of events. They put on a night at the beautiful Athenaeum Theatre in which uh, I got to discuss the books with David. We had a big audience, maybe a thousand people in the room, a lot of whom were 12 And that was a little bit daunting for me, I've got to admit to you, but it actually worked out pretty well. So this is a very kid-friendly podcast, if that is of any interest to you. It's also adult-friendly, so uh, I give you, me and David Williams, at the Athenaeum Theatre in Melbourne, discussing his books. Hello! 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 How are you? You good? Let's start this evening properly by saying a big hello and thank you and acknowledging the traditional owners of this patch of Melbourne that we're on right now. That's the Cool In people. I'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to their elders, past and present. My name's Michelle Laurie. I'm your host for tonight. And if we do this properly, you will hear very, very little from me, particularly at the end, because at the end, we want questions. Does anyone have any burning questions? Do you know what you're going to ask? There's microphones. Here's the situation. Who in this room wants to have an artsy-fartsy creative career when they grow up? (laughs) You do, madam? All right. (laughs) Who else? Come on, be honest. Who is dreaming of a big, creative, artsy-fartsy career when they grow up? (laughs) Let me tell you as an adult who is living an artsy-fartsy career, it's wonderful. It's so wonderful. It's such a great life. Now, you know you can have any life you want to have, yeah? You do know that? You understand that? Yes? So what you have tonight is the opportunity to ask questions of a great artsy-fartsy dude. Okay? One of the greatest humorists in the world. And you can ask him anything you want. If you've got a story you're stuck on, 
If you want to know how you get a story going in the first place, if you want to know how to create characters, where they come from, how, you know what I don't understand? How do you make different characters talk to each other? Because I only can make one go at once. <laughs> That's my question, but I will get to that. So is everyone ready for their questions? At the end, I will tell you when, okay, you're so well behaved. You've just given him a bit of a, a smack there. Is he all right? <laughs> a bit of nose picking? No, no, okay, all right, whatever. You can pick your nose, dude. You're artsy-fartsy. You can do whatever you want. That's the beauty of it. All right, are you ready, ladies and gentlemen, mesdames and messieurs? Are you ready? Yeah. Louder. Are you ready? Yeah. That's better. Ladies and gentlemen, David Williams. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Thank you, Michelle. Wow. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lower your expectations. Thank you. How can we possibly lower our expectations? <laughs> you have sold millions of books, literally millions. And, I mean, how, do you, how does that feel? Did you think that would happen when you decided to write books for young people? I thought it would be billions. Um, okay. I'm slightly disappointed we're just in the millions. No, it's really, really exciting. It's just lovely to see all these faces out here today, all these young people who um, evidently must enjoy my books in some way or they've been dragged here by a parent. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's a thrill. It's a thrill that children are reading the books. It's a wonderful responsibility and I meet people in the supermarket in, in England and they say, I couldn't get my child to read a book until they read one of yours. So it's a, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. If you're missing any of the books, by the way, you can buy them after this chat. And David, you will sign them. At no extra cost. Yes. I will sign them because it's very important. Yes. And I learned this from Joan Collins <laughs> herself. A signed book is a sold book, okay? <laughs> Once I've signed it, you can't take it back to the shop, okay? I have been known to re-gift them, though, which is awkward. Forget they're signed to me and give them to someone else. It's very awkward. Awful Auntie is the latest book. Mm. Where did it come from in your imagination? Because she's perhaps your evilest character. Mm. She and her uh, owl, Wagner. Yes. Yes, they're very evil. Where do they come from? Well, um... This is a story all set in the 1930s in a country house in England. And I wanted to do something very, very different to my other books because it's actually, actually it's the seventh book I've written. And um, I don't know, you just have images in your head, you have ideas and you try and connect them together. Uh, but evil characters, I'm sure there's lots of people out here who have been writing stories in school or you might write stories for pleasure. It's really good to have a good villain because good villains really create the story. The heroes only really react to what the villains are doing. Mm -hmm. So if you come up with a really good villain, you're onto something. Did you have an awful auntie? Is that where it came from? Um, I have three aunties. Um, <laughs> I say awful. Um, it's strong. No, I don't have an awful auntie. Um, but um, but I, just, I really like the idea of someone being trapped in a country house and not being able to escape. Oh, God, that's terrifying. <laughs> Tell us about the, the illustrations. They're very special and they're very particular to your books. All your books have a feel and the illustrations are a big part of that. Well, I was very lucky because the first two books I wrote, The Boy in the Dress and Mr. Stink, has anyone read those ones? Yay! 
Seven, seven people. Thank no, you. no. <laughs> Someone did say no. Well, thank you. Um, who hasn't read them? Yes. Uh. They're for sale in the foyer after the show. Signed. Let's just read them quickly and then we can carry on. No, all I was going to say is the, those two books are illustrated by Sir Quentin Blake, Ooh. who you may know. There must be some Roald Dahl fans in today. He's not here, unfortunately, <laughs> but I am. Um, and uh, Sir Quentin Blake, who's now in his 80s, he's a legendary illustrator. He illustrated the first two books. And then Tony Ross, who's a fantastic illustrator, who Quentin um, suggested, took over. And he also did some Roald Dahl books over the years, too. So I've been very, very lucky, because I think they're such an important part of any book, mm -hmm. uh, especially a children's book, the illustrations. Because when you're in the shop or the library, you flick through the book and you look at the pictures and you think, is this going to be a good story or not? Yes. Um, and I love them. And I love... Um, the most exciting thing when you've written the book is when you're handed a finished copy and you feel very, very proud because they put it together so beautifully. And have you seen the illustrations before you see the finished book? Yes. I work a little bit with the illustrator, but I let them do what they do because they're brilliant at what they do. Yeah. And if I stood over them as they were illustrating, oh, no, 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 you should make the eyes a bit bigger or the nose a bit smaller, yeah. it would be really annoying. Well, it must be strange, though. You have a vision in your mind of Awful Auntie and of mm. Wagner, and then someone else brings their vision of mm. those characters. How much like your vision... Is she in the book? Uh, well, it, yeah, it, I mean, it really is, because you describe them in certain ways. I mean, here I've said that she's got red hair and she wears this, this check outfit with the plus fours and this deerstalker <laughs> hat. So you give lots of clues. Um, but it's great. It's a collaboration, really, I think. And, and, and really good children's books are often as famous for their illustrations as they are for the words. Yeah. Would you mind reading us a little bit of Awful Auntie, please? At no extra cost, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, I will David Williams. So, has anyone read this one? I have. Yeah. You what, sorry? You've read it. Well, fantastic, thank you. I never have, so I don't know what it's about. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it. Um, this is a part in the story where I explain how evil Aunt Alberta um, has this owl living with her. So how did Aunt Alberta come to have a great Bavarian mountain owl as a pet? I need to take you back in time. In 1914, Europe was thrust into war. Alberta's brother, Chester, joined the army as an officer and was awarded a chest full of medals for his bravery on the battlefields of France. Meanwhile, his sister also enlisted and found herself fighting in the forests of Bavaria as a machine gunner. Unusually, for someone who was British, she chose to fight on the German side. <laughs> Alberta's only reason was that she preferred the German uniforms. <laughs> She felt she looked smoking hot in one of the German army's spiked helmets called Pickelhorben. One thing she had often done as a child was to steal rare bird's eggs. We've all done it. <laughs> Alberta knew that the great Bavarian mountain owl was one of the rarest birds in the world. So when she spotted one nesting in the forest where she was posted, she climbed the tree and stole the egg out of its nest. Then she sat on it until it hatched and named the little owlet Wagner after her favourite German composer. 
The war ended soon after. Alberta had been fighting for the losing side, and the prospect of being sent to a prisoner of war camp did not appeal. So she stole a Zeppelin, one of the huge German military airships. With a little owl at Wagner safely under her arm, she took to the air. At first, all went well. She piloted the Zeppelin hundreds of miles over mainland Europe. However, while flying over the English Channel, disaster struck. The metal spike on her helmet burst the huge gas cell above her. Instantly, the Zeppelin started violently spurting hot air. The airship was really nothing more than a giant balloon after all. It farted its way across the sky. <laughs> before crash landing into the sea with a plop. Alberta just managed to swim to shore. The owlet perched precariously on her head. Once safely back home, she began training the bird. Wagner never knew his real owl parents, but quickly accepted Alberta as his mother. Indeed, the woman would feed the owlet live worms and spiders from her mouth, passing them from lip to bill. <laughs> We've all done it. As Wagner grew, so did the treats. Soon she would feed him mice and sparrows she had caught in traps. Food became a reward, and over time, Alberta had taught her owl a number of impressive tricks. Fetching her slippers, flying a loop-the-loop, aerial reconnaissance, dive-bombing children's kites, stealing old ladies' knickers from washing lines, <laughs> dropping stink bombs from the air at the village's summer fete, delivering a letter or parcel within a hundred-mile radius, duetting with her on her favourite German opera arias, this was painful to listen to, as Aunt Alberta was an even worse singer than the owl. To use a special owl urinal when having an owl pee, to swoop on kittens and devour them in one gulp, bones and all, and finally, to make an apple strudel. <laughs> Owling, owlery, owlcraft, owlistry, owlography, owlosophy, call it what you will, Alberta became an expert. Soon she and her beloved Wagner became famous in owling circles. They even started doing photo shoots for specialist birds of prey publications, such as My Owl, Just Owl, Owls, 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 Owls Only, Mature Owls, and Owling Monthly, the magazine for owls and their admirers. Once, they even appeared together on the cover of Twit Woo, very much the hello of the owling world. <laughs> Inside, there were 12 pages of a home with photographs and a lengthy interview where they talked about how they had met and their hopes for their future together. Of course, Wagner's answers were all in squawks. Alberta and Wagner. Wagner and Alberta. It was a very close relationship. The pair travelled everywhere together on Alberta's motorcycle with Wagner in the sidecar. Both had matching leather flying helmets and goggles. What was more unusual still was that Alberta and Wagner shared a bed and also a bath. It wasn't natural, it wasn't right, and it definitely couldn't be hygienic. Especially not for the owl. There we go, thank you. Thank you. You, uh, just listening to that, I imagine... 
the number of times I would have to stop reading to have a conversation about things in that chapter. <laughs> we're talking, we're discussing Wagner, we're discussing Pickelhorben, is that what you said? Pickelhorben, yep. yes, there's, a, there's an illustration yep. of those German hats. But when I'm reading them to my children, we have to stop down and we have to discuss all of those things. Do you mean to promote so much conversation between the reader and... Well, I suppose, I mean, you said your children, your children, you've got twins who are five. Yes. So um, the books are sort of aimed at eight to 12-year-olds, so it's great that you're reading them to, to your kids. Yeah. Um, I suppose kids, some kids know all the answers to those things and some don't. I think it's fun to find out about things in books that yeah. you didn't uh, know already, but I do think the author has to explain as they go along, so I have little footnotes and illustrations to help. But you're not writing down <clears> for <throat> kids. You're writing concepts that, <clears throat> that take... That, that promote <clears throat> conversation, I think, and promote questions. I hope so. I mean, the first book is The Boy in the Dress. Yes. Which was about what would happen if a boy went to school dressed as a girl. Now, and this is a big book at our house because my son, Louis, went and had his nails done yesterday. He is five, but he loves a dress and he loves a tutu and he loves the nails. And so that's promoted a lot of conversation in mm. our house. Well, when I, when I was young, my sister used to dress me up in a bridesmaid's dress. <laughs> a fur hat, sandals, and a handbag. And we used to walk up and down the road um, together. <laughs> the last time was probably about two or three years ago. And, uh, <laughs> joking. Um, it's a classic. No, so, so yes, I, I, I did that a lot as, as a kid. And also, I went to an all-boys school, and no one wanted to play the girls' parts in the yeah. plays, apart from me! <laughs> um, so... So, so, yes, that's quite autobiographical, but it's quite a big subject because it's, it's quite a tricky subject, isn't it? It really um, is. And yet um, you meet kids all the time that, that feel they more, they're sometimes more drawn, boys drawn to girls' things than girls drawn to, to boys' things. Absolutely, and you made a wonderful career out of being in dresses. Thank you very much. <laughs> very some of your very greatest, kind of you. Some of your greatest characters are ladies. Yes. Or ladies. Yes, well, it's... Um, <laughs> You've got to have a hobby, haven't you, ladies and gentlemen? You really do. Um, no, well, we're in Little Britain, we wanted to show characters of all, you know, different uh, ages, races, classes, genders, so we, we really did take on everyone. Yeah. But I don't think I looked very attractive as a woman, and this is very difficult for me because I, I feel I should be a beautiful woman, but I'm not. Um, so I can only do it for humour. Do you sure. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to take part in RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, so I don't know if you have that here. But... That's my favourite programme, but okay. that's another conversation. <laughs> um, three of your books have been made in, into films. Yes. Which three? Well, um, The Boy in the Dress was on um, TV at Christmas here, but I think so far you've probably had Mr Stink and Gangster Granny. Well, do you know Is what? Right? I know they're on ABC3 on May 23 and 24, so they're on soon. Mm. Yeah. And, um, well, people oh, are setting phone alerts. <laughs> Very good. And we have some clips, I think, don't we, of, yes, the, we of the films. Yep. Shall we have a little look at them? Yes. Mm. I'm Dennis. I live in an ordinary house in an ordinary town. But I feel different. I don't think there should be any rules. But who ever heard of a boy in a dress? Yay! Who is your new friend? Bonjour. Bonjour. Dennis. I will not have that cross-dressing miscreant in my school. I do hope you're not being too hard on him. Expert for wearing a dress. And a wig. And what about special guest stars? I saw Kate Moss there. Oh, my God. Have you fully met her? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, 
It was unusual to see Kate Moss on, on television on, uh, on the BBC at Christmas. Um, I rather like that because yeah. she's an unusual person to have. But her daughter, Lila, is a fan of the books. Of course. And one time for charity, Kate gave a big donation to Comic Relief, which is a charity I support in the UK, and, and I wrote a special story for her daughter for her birthday. Mm. So she knows about the books and was into it. And Robbie Williams, I don't know, is, is he famous here, Robbie Williams? He's quite famous here. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Robbie, um, Rob. Uh, to, to <laughs> um, uh, he, 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 was in, um, he was in Gangster Granny. As um, he's basically like a like one of the stars of Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. Is it called something different here? Uh, what are we called? Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. Mm. He's basically like one of the one of the dancers from that, and uh, he had a lot of fun. He's actually very very funny, yeah. and you can give him funny stuff to do, and uh, he'll always be brilliant. And you also put yourself in your movies. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> do got to find some work somewhere. <laughs> yes, I play the Prime Minister. In, in Mr. Stink, uh -huh. and some people in the UK, some kids, very young kids, are a little bit confused and they think I actually am the real Aww. Prime Minister. What a lovely Prime Minister <laughs> you would be! <laughs> Do you choose which character you want to play when it comes to movie time? Um, yes, I mean, I'd only want to play a part if it was, you know, if there was something for me to do. Mm -hmm. Just put myself in it for the sake of it but um, but yeah the, the the smaller parts in it but it's it's fun to be in it yeah and it's great because they're on a christmas time on on the bbc in england and and that's a real thrill um mr stink and gangster granny have been adapted for the stage as well mm. that's exciting were you yes. part of that part of the the writing of the stage um, play no i kind of let other people get on with it and then i come in at a sort of later date but actually there's going to be a production of mr stink in australia it's going to start in Sydney next year. Oh, great. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just brilliant that the books have a life beyond being books. And I'm used to, before I was writing books, I was mainly doing television programs, and you know what this is like. It's great they're on. The next day, they're kind of forgotten, right? And people move on. Whereas books, they, it's more, you know, it, it builds slower. And it's word of mouth. People say, oh, read this. And then, you know, still years after you've written the book, there's still life to it. Yeah, and it's in libraries, and, it's, and parents pass it down to children, mm. and it's got it's such a long, long life. Mm. It's exciting. I just feel like books last longer, and there's something that you can really treasure. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I go into schools in the UK, and I ask, who, you know, about Roald Dahl. And I ask if people have read my favourite Roald Dahl book that I was the first book I read of his, The Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And I guess most people will put their hand up here that they've read it. Well, one person's read it. <laughs> read it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Wake up. And, um, <laughs> anyway, it's interesting that that book is written about 50 years ago. Yeah. And actually lots of kids, um, you know, think Roald Dahl's still alive even. And... and but his books have lived on, and it's an amazing legacy if you become a writer like, like he is, so treasured. Yeah. Because I imagine in another 50 years, people will be reading his books. Not problem. all books do, though. They need to have those enduring themes, and the mm. themes that you're talking about as well, that yeah. will always be. Well, I hope so. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't expect to have the impact he's had, but still, um, it's a lovely thought that the books can survive you. I'd like to think there'll always be gangster grannies. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that came about because when I was a kid, um, I used to think my granny was boring just because she was old. I thought, well, you know, because by the time I'd met her, she was an old lady. She was my granny. And, <laughs> and, and, and then one day I started asking her about 
when she was younger, and she had these incredible stories because she'd grown up in London during the Blitz in the, in the Second World War. So bombs, German bombs, were falling on London, and she was you know, hiding in the underground stations. And, and I realized that she had this incredible story. And I thought, um, I thought well, probably everyone has a great story, and everyone has secrets. And, and, um, and it got me thinking about, well, what if a granny was actually... She had a really incredible secret, like that she was an international jewel thief <laughs> when she was younger, and that was really the start of the book Gangster Granny. Could you read us a bit, please? Yes, I will. Yes! yes I will. I will. <clears throat> Ladies I will. and gentlemen, David Williams. So, um, this is a part in the story where Ben, um, Granny's grandson, um, and Granny are in Granny's house, and they're looking at all the jewels that she keeps in this biscuit tin. And Granny's been telling Ben stories about how she stole each one. And at that moment, they see someone peering in at the window. Ben's eyes darted towards the window. For a brief moment, he saw a dark figure wearing a strange hat peer through the dirty glass and then quickly disappear out of view. There was a man peering in at the window, said Ben breathlessly. Oh, no, said Granny. I told you not to look. Shall I go out and, and, and see who it was, said Ben, trying to hide the fact that he was more than a little frightened. Really, he wanted Granny to go out and see who it was. Oh, I bet it was my nosy neighbour, Mr Parker. He's a retired major, and now he runs the Neighbourhood Watch Group. What's Neighbourhood Watch? asked Ben. Oh, it's a group of local people who keep an eye out for burglars. But Mr. Parker just uses it as an excuse to spy on everyone, the nosy old git. <laughs> I often come back from the supermarket with my bag of cabbages and see he's hiding behind his neck curtains, spying on me with a pair of binoculars. Is he suspicious about you? Oh, he's suspicious about everyone. We have to keep an eye out for him, young lad. The man is a menace. Ben went over to the window and peered out. He couldn't see anyone. Bring! Ben's heart nearly missed a beat. It was only the doorbell, but if they let Mr Parker inside, he would see all the evidence the police would need to send Ben and his granny straight to prison. Don't answer it, said Ben, as he ran to the middle of the room and started stuffing all the jewels back in the tin as quickly as he could. What do you mean, don't answer it? He knows I'm at home. He just saw us through the window. You answer the door and I will hide the jewels. Me? Yes, you. Hurry. Bring. This ring was more insistent. Mr Parker had left his finger on the buzzer for even longer. Ben took a deep breath and walked calmly through the hall to the front door. He opened it. Outside stood a man in a very silly hat. Yes, said Ben in a squeaky high voice. Can I help you? Mr. Parker put his foot inside the bungalow so the front door couldn't be closed on him. Who are you? He barked nasally. He had a very big nose, which made him seem even nosier than he was, and he already seemed extremely nosy. Because he had a big nose, he also had a very nasal voice which made everything he said, however serious, seem a little bit absurd. But his eyes shone red like a demon. I'm, um, I'm, um, I'm Granny's friend, 
spluttered Ben. Why did I say that, he thought. In truth, he was in a terrible panic, and his tongue was running away with him. Friend, snarled Mr. Parker, pushing open the front door. He was stronger than Ben and soon forced his way inside. I mean, I mean, grandson, Mr. Parker, sir, said Ben, retreating back towards the living room. Why are you lying to me, he said, taking several paces forward as Ben took several paces back. It was as if they were dancing the tango. I'm not lying, cried Ben. They reached the living room door. You can't go in there, yelled Ben, thinking of the jewels still scattered all over the carpet. Why not? Um, 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 because Granny is doing her naked yoga. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Ben needed a dramatic excuse to stop Mr. Parker barging through the door and seeing the jewels. He was pretty sure he had hit the jackpot as Mr. Parker paused and furrowed his brow. Sadly, the nosy neighbour was not convinced. Naked yoga, a likely story. I need to talk to your grandmother right away. Now get out of my way, you nasty little worm of a boy, he said, as he shoved the boy aside and opened the living room door. Granny must have heard Ben through the door because when Mr. Parker burst into the room, she was standing in a bra and knickers in tree pose. <laughs> Mr. Parker, do you mind? <laughs> said Granny in mock horror that he had seen her in a state of undress. Mr. Parker's eyes spun around the room. He didn't know where to look, so he fixed his glare on the now bare carpet. Excuse me, madam, but I need to ask you, where are those jewels I saw a moment ago? Ben spied the biscuit tin that Granny kept the jewels in, poking out from behind the sofa. He edged it out of view with his foot. What jewels, Mr. Parker? Have you been spying on me again? Well, I, I had good reason. I was suspicious when I saw a young gentleman into your property. And as head of Neighbourhood Watch, I must report anything suspicious I see to the police. I've got a good mind to report you to the police, Mr. Parker, said Ben. Granny looked at him curiously. Whatever for, said the man. His eyes narrowed. They were now so red, it was like there was a fire in his brain. For spying on old ladies in their underwear, <laughs> said Ben triumphantly. Granny winked at Ben. Oh, she was fully clothed when I looked through the window. Oh, that's what they all say, <laughs> said Granny. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. 
if gangster granny is sort of an exaggeration of your own granny, mm. is Ben you an exaggeration of you as a small boy or is there... There's something about a fantasy of yours that is Ben. Well, um, Ben, uh, he wants to be a plumber, but his <laughs> mum and dad want him to be a ballroom dancer. Um, I wanted to reverse that thing, because when you're a kid, you normally have a dream. You know, for me, it was being an actor, and then my parents always say you need something to fall back on. Yeah. So, um, yes, I, I never actually wanted to be a plumber, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> Not that you're wrong with being a plumber, but, yeah. but it wasn't for me. Um, but I do think when you're, when you're writing stories, you do put a lot of yourself into the characters, and particularly the main character. Yeah. And when you're writing children's books, you really want to think, oh, how did I view the world when I was 11 or 12 years old, which is the, the, the age Ben is? Because when you're a kid, you know, the, the world is larger than life in a lot of ways. I remember um, there was a deserted house in the road where we lived, and me and my sister would go up on our bikes and we'd, we'd, we, if, we saw, if we thought we saw something move in the window, they would go, there's a ghost, there's a ghost living in the house. And we'd charge back on our bikes. And it, it was, um, you know, you, you want to believe in magic when you're a kid. And I have I th- to imagine you in the bridesmaid's dress and fur hat when you tell that story. <laughs> it's like you always wore that in your childhood in my imagination. Mm. Now. Uh, we had different dresses for different days <laughs> of the week, but thank you. Um, and, uh, and no, you want to believe in magic uh, when you're a child. And yeah. I think that's why children's books are so special because they're much, they're, I think they're a lot more imaginative. I'm not saying mine, but I'm saying children's books in general are a lot more imaginative than adult books. I mean, the world that people create, like, you know, J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter. I mean, you, you, there's no adult books that have all of that in them, are there, really? And I love the relationship between Ben and his grandma, the conspiratorial relationship, you know, where mm. he's protecting her and she's listening and there's a plan unfolding without them even having to explicitly tell each other there's a plan unfolding. No, and I, I love that. that and that thing when you're young often it's fun staying with grandparents because they let you stay up late. Yeah. They give you the food that you're not allowed to have when you're at home. Yeah. And they let you watch television programs that are not age appropriate. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's great. So I always used to like staying with my grandparents. And their underwear is hilarious. Yes. Isn't it? <laughs> grandparents underwear is it still hilarious? Yes. Maybe they don't see as much of their granny's knickers as I did of mine. They are. <laughs> Let's swiftly move on from this slightly uncomfortable subject. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, what about the, the smaller children's books you've written now? You've written uh, picture books. Yes. How I've... is that? Is that? I mean, it feels like that sort of brings the world way back down again. Well, it's just, I just had an idea for a picture, but the slightly annoying elephant, which is what would happen if you were sat at home one day and an elephant just turned up. <laughs> it turns out it's an elephant that you adopted from the zoo years before that you'd forgotten about, <laughs> and then they're, they're coming to say, I'm coming to live with you. Um, I really love writing the picture books, and obviously most of the effort is done by the illustrator, um, in this case, Tony Ross. But um, it's lovely to think um, you can bring out picture books. I'm Roald Dahl, my hero, um, wrote a brilliant picture book called The Enormous Crocodile. I don't know if anyone's read that. Yeah. Which is absolutely fantastic. Um, as I think it's one of his best books, actually. It's not quite as well known as, as the novels. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just a great, fun thing to do. So few words, though. Easier or harder than writing a novel? It's harder in some ways because they can't really be more than about 500 words. And that's quite hard um, to do, to, to really boil it down to that and also the, the illustrations have got to tell stories as well so it's 
Um, it's it's harder than it looks, I think. Mm. Now, you had just mentioned Comic Relief before, that you had written something for Kate Moss as part of that, mm. but you've written another book for Comic Relief recently, haven't you? Yes, it's called The Queen's Orangutan, <laughs> and it's about the Queen asking for an orangutan butler for her birthday, <laughs> because she actually has a plan to escape Buckingham Palace <laughs> and escape being the Queen and put the orangutan in her place. Um... <laughs> It could happen. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of fun, a lot of fun writing that. And then all the, I produced the book and then all the profits will go to charity forever, which is exciting. It's That's nice. great. Have mm. you met the Queen? Um, I have met the Queen and I'm going to really <laughs> brag now. I've actually met her three times. <gasps> wow. Which time did the orangutan <laughs> idea come into your mind? Um, no, sorry. Four times. <laughs> No, because we have this thing in the UK called the Raw Variety Performance. Yes. And I got to host that uh, one year, and it was, it was on at the Albert Hall, this beautiful venue. And then she comes on stage at the end, and uh, she's been sat in the audience. She comes in and she meets all the performers. And um, I flew down on a wire at the start of the show. <laughs> and then she met Robbie Williams, and she said, were you the man on the wire? I was like, no, I'm Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and she met One Direction, and she went, do you always work as a group? Like, well, yeah, they're, they're One Direction. <laughs> so, That's what my nan would ask. They're the questions my nan um, would ask. But very, very exciting. Yeah. Um, but you're not really allowed to ask the Queen a question. Oh. Um, and so all I could think of saying when she came onto the stage, I went, oh, thanks for coming. Like, well, it's the Royal Variety performance. She has to. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Me too. I, I think because I've met a few well-known people over the, over, over the years, and she's incredible because she's been there since birth, you know, yeah. or before my birth, and it, it, she's on the money and the stamps, and you don't think yeah. you'll ever meet her. She was very nice. I can't imagine looking at her in the flesh. How mm. strange. Yes, I know, it's quite, it's quite, it's, it, yeah, she kind of tops most well-known people I think you could ever meet. Yeah, everyone knows who she is. Mm. Even if you don't know who the Spice Girls are, you know who she is. Mm. Even if you don't know who One Direction are, you are her. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so there we are. And I actually put the, the Queen in Gangster Granny. Yeah. Because there's a bit where... Um, ben and Granny, they're trying to steal the crown jewels, so it's the, the crown and the, and the orb and the scepter that the Queen has, and, um, and then she turns up in the Tower of London and, and sort of catches them red-handed. Um, and so I have no idea whether the Queen actually knows about that or not. She is a gangster Granny. Isn't mm. she the Queen? She has a very similar story to your Granny's. She was there for the Blitz. Yeah, I mean, she would have had a very interesting life, definitely, yeah. yeah. Now it's time for you all to have an opportunity to ask some questions. Oh, you're so sweet. Pew! Up it goes. Now, listen, there's microphones stationed around. If we can turn the lights up so that we can hear you. So I think that we're asking the young people to go to the microphones yes. to ask the question. So if you... You can always... You can go and queue up with there's the... There's one in the middle there's there. There's one on every level. So we're going to make sure we come to every level. And so... Is anyone, you know have you got anyone down there to ask a question? So, so go and join the, uh, the person you see with the microphone. And we can start with this man here, I reckon. Okay, I think... You can tell me your question. Big pardon? 
Who is Raj? While everyone else make your way to the microphones, we'll start with, what's your name, darling? Sam. Hi, now, Sam. Raj is not in The Awful Auntie, right? <laughs> yes, I have a character called Raj, who's in the first um, six books. Mm. And he runs a, a newsagent stop, a <laughs> right. shop. You call it that here, wouldn't yep, you? Yep. And he, um, he basically is my real newsagent who's <laughs> in the road up from me, <laughs> who's called Raj, and the shop is called Raj's News. <laughs> and he has a really, really messy shop. Oh. <laughs> like, you'll say, um, where are the curly whirlies? Yeah. And he'll say, oh, well, have you tried under the tipex? <laughs> you know, well, why did you put them there? Um, so, yeah, the, I, it's basically just a real person. That's fantastic. Thank you for your question. Great question. Oh, yeah. So let's go for one here, and then we'll go up here, and then there, and then down again. Mm-hmm. How did you get the writing ideas for Mr. Stink and Billionaire Boy? How did I get the ideas for Mr. Stink and Billionaire Boy? Well, a friend of mine told me a story when he was a kid. They used to, um, his mum used to drive him to school, and every day they'd see an old lady on the side of the road. And one day they decided to give her a lift, and she got in the car, and she absolutely stumbled. <laughs> and their, their eyes were watering, and they couldn't breathe. And, and they never gave her a lift again. It was a very sad story. <laughs> But it made me think, how much could you love the smelliest person oh. in the world? And that was really the starting point of the story. Should we go up there for another one? Yeah. Have you got someone up there with you? Oh, yes, there you go. How do you stretch out a book to make it a chapter book instead of just a small picture book? How do I stretch it out? Um, just, I needlessly add words and sentences. <laughs> just really to pad it out. And so that the price can be slightly higher than it would be. Um, no, um, well, you just, you actually, if you're wanting to, you may be a budding writer. You sound like you are from yes. your question. I think you need, the, the best thing you can do is plan out your story. So you know, you have an idea of what's going to happen in each chapter. So I'm writing a new book at the moment and I've sort of plotted it all out. So I've got an idea of where I'm heading. Um, because it's quite hard. Um, you really need to know where stories are going if you're writing long stories. But that's a very good question. Should we go up here to the very yes, top? Over that side, I think. There we go. Yep. How many other books are you going to make? How many, how many books am I going to write? Yeah. 102. I'm going <laughs> to stop there. Well, I don't know how long I'm going to live. So <laughs> it's hard for me to say. Um, but I'd like, to write, I'd like to write more. I mean, I love doing it. And the great thing is it's something you can do as you get older. Um, and there's no, real, you know, there's no real barrier to that, is there, really? Whereas when you're appearing on television, there's a point where you're just deemed just too old. <laughs> it can't, people don't want to look at you anymore. Um, and so when that day comes, um, I'll be writing more books, which I'll love doing. So we'll go back down here for a question. Well, thank you for that. Why is Raj in all the books except for Awful Auntie? Why is Raj in all the books apart from Awful Auntie? Well, in Awful Auntie, because it's set in the 1930s, it's before he was born, so I couldn't really put him in it. But I put him in at the very end of the book, writing an angry letter that he's not included in the book. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of good fun yeah. to do. So... Um, but there are people, I mean, when I do events in the UK, people really do demand his reinstatement. 
and I had to make a promise to put him in the next book, or I would have been lynched at a book event I was doing. Yes. What's your favourite book you've made? What's the favourite book that I've written? I'd say probably Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> the best one, because... It was very good. Very I mean, good. I let this lady take the credit. <laughs> it's a very nice blonde lady. She got all the credit for it. Um, um, yeah, um, what's my favourite? I think Mr Stink in some ways, because it's quite a tender story. And I'd come from doing a quite an adult comedy show called Little Britain. And it was quite hard-edged in some ways. And we never really showed the characters in an emotional way, or very little. And this was quite a sweet story. And I was surprised myself, because <laughs> I thought I really had like a heart of darkness, and I couldn't <laughs> come up with anything like that. <laughs> but a good question. Up, up the top? Do... I mean, no, no. Which character were you in Little Britain? Which one was I in Little Britain? <laughs> I was... I was the fat, bald one. I was him. I was him. <laughs> well, we... It was, it was two of us. Uh, and Matt Lucas. He was the funny one. And then there was me. And um, we played... Oh, actually, all the characters between us. Um, so... So probably about half the characters, and probably more of the women characters than me. <laughs> just something I needed to get off my chest, really. <laughs> right, down here. Did you have a demon dentist or, like, um, a burger van in your school? Like, Did... in Ratburger and Demon Dentist? Well, um, what, in Ratburger, there's this villain called Bert, and in the, in the UK, I do Britain's Got Talent as a judge. And one guy, we came on, he was a contestant, and he came on, and um, he wore, had dark glasses, black hair, he had false teeth rattling in his, in his mouth. <laughs> and the first thing he said was, I know what you're thinking. They've dug up Roy Orbison. <laughs> Which the mums and dads will get. Roy Orbison is a long-dead singer, sung Pretty Woman, if you don't know him. And, um, and they said, what's your act going to be? And he said... I'm going to eat live cockroaches. <laughs> and then he got out this brown paper bag that was moving, and he started just <laughs> eating the cockroaches. And I thought, um, I thought, wow, someone who eats live cockroaches, what else might they do? Might they turn rats into burgers? <laughs> and then I came up with the story Rat Burger. So you've got to keep your eyes and ears yeah. open, because you never know when you're going to find a great character that you can put in a story. Do you keep a notebook? Do you write those things as full of, like, Cockroach Man, Rat Burger, ideas as you... I do, yeah, because yeah. I think otherwise you do forget them. Yeah. It's that thing when you wake up from a dream and you go, oh, what a brilliant dream, I'll remember that, and that'll, you know, and then you never, ever do. So you do need to make a note if you have these ideas. Keep a notebook? Yes. Which one? What's uh, the longest book you've written? The longest book I've written, I think, is probably Awful Auntie. Is that they've, the books have been getting thicker and thicker as I've gone along. I, one reason is I like to have more illustrations, but two, I think I've just started enjoying writing longer stories. Are they too long? Is that what you're getting at? Are they, <laughs> you feel... <laughs> I think it's hard to imagine writing a book, isn't it? You know, you write stories. It's hard to imagine writing that many words. Mm. Well, know? you don't do it all in one go. Ah, good advice, That's yes. it, but, um, <laughs> but it's... Um, 
It's something I loved doing at school, but I don't think I was particularly good at it, but I did like doing it. Yeah. Should we go up to the top? When did you get the idea for the demon dentist? Where did I get the idea for the demon dentist? Well, I always think that people don't really like going to the dentist, do they? I mean, who, likes, who actually likes going to the dentist? <laughs> right, so okay. On. Will you explain to me what you enjoy about <laughs> They put these <laughs> metal things in your mouth, and they try and engage you in conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I thought... I thought, wow, an evil dentist who's actually a tooth witch who actually takes children's teeth out when they don't need to come out. And I thought this was a really, really scary character yeah. because, one, they're a dentist, two, they're a witch, and I didn't think anyone had ever done it before. So um, that's where I, I got the idea from. That was where my brain was whirring, too. But when I was little, I had a really nice dentist, and then we moved dentist and then it was a new lady came along and then she started doing all these things to my teeth that I didn't think I really needed. Ah, tooth witch. Yeah, so maybe she was actually a tooth witch. Oh. <laughs> so we're back down here, are we? Do we yeah. go to the top? Yeah. Um, why is the boy in Boy in the Dress um, French? Why is he French? Well, he actually pretends to be French in the story because... When he goes to school as the girl, he's called Dennis, um, Lisa, who he befriends, calls him Denise and tries to pass him off as her French pen pal. <laughs> because if you live in England um, and you're studying French at school, you're often made to write to some French child who then has to write back to you in English. <laughs> I mean, really the most boring letters you've ever <laughs> Written or read in your life. Anyway, so that's, that's, he's not actually French, but he, he pretends to be French for a, a little part of the story. I'm called Denise. Denise. Yes. Um, what more ideas do you think you're going to come up with? What ideas do you think oh, I think I'm going to come up with? Really good ones. Really brilliant uh, ideas. Um, well, I'm writing a book at the moment... Um, which is about, this is a secret, so you can't tell anybody, okay? And it's about a little boy who helps his granddad escape from an old people's home because they're all being held there. Um, a maximum security twilight home, yeah. as, <laughs> as Dame Medna used to call it, uh, yeah. where her husband Norm was. Yeah. Um, so that's the story I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> but beyond that, I don't know. So we've got one at the top. When did you start writing books? <laughs> it was in stereo, that question, yeah. wasn't it? When did I start writing books? Well, um, it was only about seven or eight years ago. I was doing, we were doing the Little Britain tour, live tour, and we actually we came here, amongst other places, and it was 2007. And we'd sign, you know, programmes and things after the show. And there'd be loads and loads of kids. And... Um, and then I talk to the kids and they say, oh, I really enjoy the show, but my parents don't let me watch this sketch because it's too rude or this <laughs> yeah. particular character or I get sent to bed when this sketch is on. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to do something with the humour of Little Britain but something especially for kids? And that's really the, the, that was the sort of little moment in my brain where I went, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, but you didn't know you could do it? Did you, did you no, I didn't know I could do it, but I thought, well, I thought I... 
You know, because with Matt, we've created these characters and written dialogue for Little Britain. So I thought, well, I can, I can create characters, I can write dialogue. I didn't really know if I could write stories, but so I just had a go, really. We'll have to wrap up soon, but don't stress, because David's going to be out the front after this, okay? So you can still ask him your yes, question. Yes, if you have a question, just ask me while yes. we do the book signing. Um, did we go up top yet? We had that. That was the okay. question in stereo, wasn't it? So we'll, it go, was. we'll go one, two, three, and then we'll... Okay. Okay? Yep. Um, are most of your books based off real expense? experiences or are they just thought like out of your imagination? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's a, it's a mixture of both. It's often a little germ of an idea um, comes to you. Um, for example, telling you the story about being on Britain's Got Talent. So a man who ate cockroaches and then I created <laughs> this character and then after that I just kind of invented everything else. But you do often remember things from your childhood mm. Um, for example, when I was a kid, we used to have cross-country runs once a year, and I'd always come last. And <laughs> me and the other boy, who would be last, we'd like race each other the last like <laughs> 25 metres. And everyone had already got changed, and they kind of jeered at us <laughs> as we ran. And I used that very bit in Billionaire Boy, you know, because I thought it, it really something I really remembered. So, so. You often have little moments from your life or people that you've met, and then you invent things too. But it's a good question. Yes? Um, what do you think the maximum amount of characters is in a story? What a great question. How many characters should you have in a story? Yeah, well, um, in Awful Auntie, I don't have many characters at all. It's basically um, Alberta and her niece in, in, stuck in this country house together. Um, I think you can have as many as you want, really. Um, some books might only have one or two characters. We're talking about Harry Potter, which has got well, some universe, isn't it? And yeah. there seems like there's 50 or 100 characters, maybe. So um, it depends on what story you're writing. Mm. Good question. Right, so this is the very last question from up at the top. Okay. So. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> If you're just sitting down and trying to brainstorm for, like, and this is this one has you haven't experienced, uh, how would you come up with an idea if you're just sitting down? Well, sometimes you're not sitting down. Sometimes I'm swimming in a swimming pool, or I'm walking down the street, or I'm. Um, doing Britain's Got Talent, or someone's telling me a story. And, and sometimes I get ideas for characters and stories then. And then we, we were talking a little earlier, and Michelle was saying about having a notebook, and you write down ideas. But I think a lot of people say, well, how could I write a story? But you have dreams, right? You, you must wake up in the morning and remember some crazy dream you had. Yeah. Do you? Yep. You do. Yeah, and everyone does. And I think if you can dream... Uh, which everyone can, you can create a story. Yeah. It's just finding that part of your brain that allows you to daydream, allows you to, to, to see things that are not in front of you. And I think everyone can do that. Plus practice, yeah? Mm. Just keep writing. It is, definitely. It's definitely. Now, this is very exciting. Just when you thought we were, it was all over, it's not. Mm, oh, no. Because... There's another seven hours no. of this. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that far. But you know what? Every young reader is getting a goodie bag today. Everyone gets a prize. Yay! And what do the people 
The people with the golden ticket. The golden ticket get extra prizes in their goodie bag. Yes, you get a goodie bag with all kinds of incredible things in it. Yes. So hopefully you'll find them. Like what, says Mr. Mr. over there. Well, I don't know, mate. $10,000 in cash. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I just want to say a huge thank you to Michelle, who's been thank such you. a brilliant, brilliant host today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, David Williams. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thank you. You'll find more info Thank about you. all of our See guests at michellelurry.com as well as a place to leave questions and feedback. There's also a link there to the website of Tenzin Choyil. He is the man behind the beautiful Tibetan music you've heard throughout the podcast. Thank you to Tim Mountford and Peter Laurie for editing help, but please know that the clunkiest edits are all mine. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Please subscribe to get them all on iTunes and go ahead and leave us a nice review if you feel so inclined. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.